0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm at RMIT University and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm very excited today because I'm here with a milliner um, that you've probably heard of, uh, Philip Rhodes, who's been in the industry for many, many years and really has built a reputation for very fine, bespoke, beautiful hats. We tend to hear his name uh, at Spring Racing Festival once a year, but really it's, it's someone who should be heard of a lot more often. Welcome to the program, Philip. Thanks, Stephen. Nice to be here. Now, Philip, you've had a very interesting career from theatre through to um, Australian ballet. You started off doing arts at Monash University.
1: I did do arts, straight arts at my, my, yeah. Monash University. It's true. Is
0: that something that when you don't know what to do, people say
1: try arts to work out a program? I mean, No, I, I got my HSC, but I just got my HSC. <laughs> And I got I got into what I got into, and I crawled there very gratefully because my parents wanted me to go to university. So when did the fascination for hats start? Oh, when I was probably about four. Really? When, yeah, we were. Well, my fair lady was playing in the cinema in the city, and we were taken, and I was probably about four, and I was very struck by it. And you know, I. I think I just fooled around talking about those sort of things, but my parents were horrified. <laughs> and so um, my sister was very artistic and she did art, but I was forbidden to do art. So I was academic enough to do other subjects, so I ended up at university. And what was it about the hats
0: in My Fair Lady, just the... The volume or the the scale. Well, I
1: suppose it was just beaten, being given an opportunity, and he took it. And you, you know, I I obviously it was obviously in me a germ was in me, and I responded even as a kid. Do you remember the first serious
0: hat you made, Philip?
1: First serious hat. The first serious hat I made would have been when I actually started working for for William Beale, um, and I can't remember. I always thought I would, because I remember I asked an older woman at mm. the time, I said, what was the first hat you made? And she said, oh, I can't remember. And I remember thinking at the time how I, that, I, that would never happen to me, but it probably has, I probably can't remember. It probably would have been a felt hat, though. But I, I probably, for myself, I really, I in those days, millinery, to my mind, and, and generally, was sort of a When world, you say those days... In the 80s still, yeah. it was still in the 80s when... We were still manufacturing in in Australia, and particularly in Melbourne, a lot. And I want, I, I'd i gone to university and I came out of it and I thought, well, this is no good. And I, I worked in the Department of Social Security and I thought, this is no good. And um, Not they, making hats. No, and they told me that I was no good. And so I thought, we'd better get out of this. And so I... Watched the papers. I mean, how you wouldn't do that these days. But I watched the papers for an ad, and one came up, and I went along for an interview, and he looked at me dubiously and said, "Don't do this, you're mad." But I did go do it. And what was the
0: ad for?
1: It was ad for him. He wanted a fully finished milliner. He wanted a, a ready-to-go milliner, and I just turned up, and With he, no experience, and no experience, and he kind of just thought, mm, "I don't really want to do this." I was twin in my early twenties, and but he took me on, and I worked really. Hard. I must admit, I worked and who was very that hard. It was William Beale, Mr. Individual Hats. And I worked very hard for him. And he said after the first week, you can stay, you're mad, but you can stay. And so I did stay, and, and I just started working for him. And I guess that I'd done, I'd done a little course, piddled around with a little course, that you didn't learn anything because I could see the hats. You'd go to look in the millinery department, you could see the hats there, and you could see the quality, and I just knew that I wasn't touching that. So I wouldn't regard a serious hat before I worked for him. And it probably wouldn't have been in the first year of working for him. Philip, what do you call a serious hat? Because a lot of people don't
0: understand the whole artistry of millinery. What's a serious hat for you? Is it something that's very bespoke to the client? Is it the technique? What do you call a serious hat?
1: Bespoke to the client? Um, I guess that that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, because... We, I mean, we recently saw a, an episode of bespoke to the client that really failed, and everyone suddenly became a hat expert. And when Beatrice wore that hat to the royal wedding, and everyone across the world suddenly knew all about hats and <laughs> and hated it so much. Um, um, I suppose the thing is, to my mind, is the making, and it's also it, it's an intelligence about line. It's it, it's all consequential, and certainly. I mean, I see things that are made and they've matched the floral. And they've got every colour of that floral on the hat, but, you know, it misses. And I suppose it's that you can see somebody who's got an eye, you can see somebody who's got an ability. And, and to me, millinery, when I went into millinery, was training. You had to be trained. I could, the way those women worked, and I worked with older women and, and the boss was older, of course, and they came from that time and particularly in the 50s, that high style time in the 50s.
0: Um, Philip, how, what's the process generally for someone who wants a special hat, mm-hmm. very customised? Mm-hmm. They, you know, they might bring in fabric to go with something, but they might just say, "Look, Philip, we're going to the um, the races carnival. We want something really special." How does the process work? Do you sketch out a few ideas? Do you have a, a great conversation to start with? How does it start? Um,
1: I guess that it starts by you look at you have a good look at them while you're talking to them, obviously, and think about them and you 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 can assess a lot of things about people quite quickly. You can assess by the way what they come in in the terms of the sort of bags they like, the shoes they like I, I actually look at their accessories more than anything, and sometimes i can I can feel that they're not really for me that I'm not for them. And that I've had, I've done that before, and it's obviously sometimes a mistake. Do say,
0: so, do you actually say no to people?
1: I have actually said no to people, and I know it sounds really foolish, but I know that I've done, I've said yes, and it's been wrong, and it's it's been so wrong that they've they've wanted you to put more things on when you didn't want to put more things on, and you know they, there'll be a client that wants wants a busier hat than I do, and so it's usually that will be it. But the process will start when you start talking to them, and it'll come out quite quickly. Whether they're right for you and you're right for them, and they'll they'll have it. They'll usually I'll say they have to have a garment because they need to make a starting point because I can't make a starting point for them, and that also assists with you determining what we're going to do. I always ask what they're going to wear in terms of a shoe. I think the shoe is really a shoe tells you a lot about a hat mm-hmm. because if they go to wear a, a staggeringly high heel, then you know you can push it a lot. If they're going to wear a, a Ferragamo Vada with a flat heel, then you're going to probably pull it back a bit.
0: So what, you do you make, a, like a, instead of a twirl, do you, do you make a form to start with?
1: I tell, then I tend to, <laughs> I, I, you hopefully you have something, I usually have something hanging around, um, sometimes you wave your hands in the air which is sort of an age-old military tradition to wave your hands in the air and sort of hold your hands in a form over their head. Um, Sometimes you just get a bit of something. Sometimes you can inspire confidence just by having... You'll just go and get the right thing. You know you've got a bit of material that you've had for a long time and it's just the right thing. And the minute they see it, they'll say, yes, yes, yes. So they'll get sold on that. Um, So it doesn't... I mean, it's not always going to be the most... It's not always going to be the most extraordinarily original shape you've ever seen but it will be a concept of something that will speak to the garment and speak to the woman and philip how how many fittings would or visits would you
0: say that results in the final hat
1: many years ago i had a woman come to me and she was a very nice woman i had never seen it before and she. i said fitting and she said to me famously in my workroom, fools and children should never see half done work and she said i'll just collect it it'll be lovely um so i it depends again if it's if it's very complicated in the way it's going to fit on the head, I like to see them usually I'll get it in one um I did a bride recently, and it reminded me that brides take about three to get just mm. even the the argy bargy of the negotiation it mm. takes about three times. So it just depends. At the moment, hats are um, hats are the hats that people like are quite small, so they do sit to the front, and so they're not such a such a to do to fit. Mm. In the old days, in the nineties, for instance, when hats were huge. Um, you kind of had to have a fitting so that the hat didn't fall down on their ears and things. Yeah. So it's it's changed a bit. But I'd say usually have one fitting, but often with the women I've known, they don't come in for a fitting at all. Yeah. They'll come and see me and then come and collect.
0: Right. So you're talking about changes in, in hats, and it must be a milliner's worst nightmare when hats are all of a sudden not in vogue for a season or two and then they come back. I mean, or is it just consistent? I mean... Australians have never been big for hats. It's always been a relatively small market. Is it changing? Is it just, you know, people are wanting hats but, you know, wanting things they can wear more
1: often? Oh, the market here is really the raceway market now. Um... So I, you
0: must find a very intense period for a very it's, short it's,
1: time. It's been t- it, look. It was intense when I started in the eighties. That was the that was the period. And the, other than that, there was mm-hmm. there was bits. I mean, the boss used to complain because we the orders we'd get at wholesale from Myers, and from David Jones were like twenty of this and thirty of that, and he wanted like eighty. But um, yeah, I, I think it's the the, Chi- the Chinese imports certainly changed things. Mm-hmm. Fascinators when, changed. When,
0: when was that?
1: that oh, that 80s. came in the mid-90s. Yeah. The mid-90s, it really hit us. And by the end of the 90s, we were, in terms of wholesaling, we were pretty wiped out. Um, but Fascinators... Um, what a, For people who I, don't know what Fascinators
0: the things that fly, look like they've just... Flown in a bit a of ba- to the side a bit of again. veiling
1: and a bit of this and a bit of that. I love a fascinator person mate. because I like them because when they first came, because they came at a time when hats had become quite serious in the nineties and they were quite sombre and and they, they were an entry point for a younger woman and at least it was something they'd put on because it, the, the death is the death to to millinery is when they don't put it on. So at least they were putting something on. They then you know they they then became. A point of contention, and I love—I actually love them because people hate them. I mean, just that it annoys people, and people, you know, come up and say, "I bet you hate fascinators." Well,
0: they do look a bit odd. I'd have to say, from someone who generally likes hats Mm. at racing time, when I find all these things on, you know, that look like they've just been slammed into someone's Mm -hmm. side of their head, like a bird flying, you know, I find it does look a bit odd.
1: Well, they—they're not a yeah look, but let's be honest. What else? Is, what else would they wear if they didn't wear that? They would probably wear nothing, mm. and so I, I have to say, I think it's participatory. And when you go out there on the day, if you if if you see a woman without anything on her head, she looks like the lonely little petunia. And I think that. I, I do think it's, it's a participation thing. So I do, I, I appreciate that they do it because there was a time in the 70s when it stopped. Stephen, look, you've worked for some pretty interesting people,
0: including Herbert Johnson in Bond Street in uh, London, mm. working, which specialised in men's hats. When hats are so big in London and in Europe, uh, and relatively small, I mean, the number of milliners we have here is relatively small, and your talent. Why didn't you stay in London? Not that I'm not appreciative that you came back here, but did you often think in London I could have been huge while here I can only be as large as, you know, the next milliner or larger than the next milliner? But, you know, mm. did you did you ever think about establishing yourself in, in London?
1: When I was in London, when I went over there first of all, mm. um, the first job I got was at... Actually, it was at Berman's and Nathan's, which was a costume house. And by the time I'd paid my rent, I think I just had enough to pay my fees, and I had to eat off my savings. Like I took savings, and I was eating off that. And you couldn't actually live. And the wages, I think we were paid five pound an hour, and I I, wor- I worked for people doing that. And so I worked. I was over there for five years in total, but it was always quite tough. Mm-hmm. And at that point, which was the late 80s, real estate in Britain, in London, was becoming valuable. And they, the, the streetscape was one thing, but they started looking up and they started going up and the workrooms were actually being valued so highly in the rent stakes that they actually were closing workrooms down. And so the only thing you could do in the end was work at home. They gave you out work. And I was sitting, I was sitting in a great big edwardian house in muswell hill and it was like dr shivago's house after the revolution It was so it was magnificent but it was run down and i was sort of sitting there making hats and that's when i thought well you know what am i going to do i just was sitting i used to do the rush in there on a friday to deliver and to get some money you know and i just thought there wasn't a future in that i had even then it was i think it was tough over then in terms that you had to have a backer they were always talking about backers and um I, that's how I know Philip Tracy started because he had a backer, mm. and somebody put some money up and they they buy into you. But I just I, at that point I just it just didn't seem a reality to me. I don't know why. Probably if I'd stayed there, I probably could have done done something with myself here. Surely, I, you know. And, and you are right. The market here is small.
0: The other thing is that you know you've worked for a lot of theatre here, and that that allows you, I imagine, a lot more creativity. Or a different type of creativity when you're working for someone like the Australian Ballet or, you know, um, Opera Australia, Victorian Opera? Um, What are the differences when you're you're designing for theatre as opposed to a client?
1: I don't design. I make. In that I don't design for them; they will yeah, have a designer. And but I always say that any maker who's not a designer is no maker. You know, you you you. They will certainly not tell you how to make a something. So you are actually in designing the making of anything anyway. They will just give and you. But you the don't get the free reign. No, they'll give you the form that they want it in. But frequently, look. You know, they—they, they, any designer would worth this salt would not say that they didn't that the maker didn't have a huge input, and that they work better with some makers than others. Um, but I think that the attraction to me working in theatrically here is that certainly it provides that opportunity which we don't have here, which is like the couture level opportunity, where you get to make something extraordinary, extraordinary, and outlandish and larger than life and other if you didn't work theatrically you'll never get that opportunity because we just don't we don't operate at that level
0: so the materials are, are quite extraordinary as well
1: yes and you know you'll make yeah you'll make you know and you'll put you'll put gilt braiding on things and you know and make you know, a hat out of out of silks and or a satin or a velvet or something that you would never make otherwise because you know what what would you do with it you know you just kind of a sort of a storeroom full of if i had a couture parade i could show these but I just haven't got a couture parade so um, i think that that's that's the benefit I, it occurred to me really recently i was doing a job really recently and somebody said something oh you know they could have that on the catwalk and i suddenly thought well it probably is why i'm attracted to it because it's the one opportunity and it's got no risk attached for me in that i'm not i'm not, not financing it i'm yeah i'm not going to lose on the deal i mean it has you know. to make a big Impact from the audience yeah. point of view. Oh, look, and 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 I'm not so demure about myself that I I don't enjoy coming up with the solution that everyone's thrilled with. You know that yeah. the designer you know writes yeah. your personal note of thanks, or the director writes your note of thanks, and you know that it, it's nice to. The other thing is that when you stand alone as a milliner, you can sit in a room and make hats all your life, and you can see some clients and you won't you won't see a lot of other people whereas i must admit if you go down to i go down to melbourne theater company and i work a couple of days there and you're actually part of the team you know you're part yeah. of the wardrobe team you know the designer speaking to you the director you'll deal with the actors you'll go in the theater when it's you know in tech week so you, you know you have a greater interaction it's something beyond just working on your own working on your own yeah so your clients these days who are seeing your work um
0: who are they? I mean, is it, you know, who's the typical client if there is a typical client these days?
1: A typical client? Um, I'm, I must admit that like the sort of woman that will come to me will probably be um, a woman who is professional in her own right. Um, I get a lot of sort of lawyers and they don't have a lot of time in terms of time to give you, so and often a short turnaround for that reason. Um, I don't I don't get the fashions on the field Philly type, you know, that looking to win the prizes. So I, I really I don't even really have much to do with that because I never have a woman that sort of says, "Oh, I'm going in passions on the field." Mm-hmm. In fact, they make me a bit nervous when they say that because <laughs> the pressure's <British laughs> <the, is> are. <all. laughs> well, it is really, and if they don't win, they can they get a bit plain. Well, the outfit was great, but the hat <laughs> yeah, lost the, it. Yeah, oh, I think it. the hat lost it for me. I think that you know you didn't. I think I know, and somebody they see somebody else and they compare. They compare. No, mm-hmm. you, you can see them do it. So it's sort of that that level of woman. It, it's and it's the woman who can afford to come to me. Because it is, a, hat making is an expensive business. I mean, it's expensive for me to make and it's expensive for them to purchase. How many hours
0: could you spend making it one hat? Oh. From go to work, from say consulting to
1: the, um, wrapping I, it up. I reckon that you could spend, you could spend. A day, a day just to start with, just to fool around trying to find what you're going to make it out of. My biggest question is well, what we going to make it out of, you know, and so you, these days it's harder and harder because the traditional materials have all ceased being produced, and so we're down to very few materials. They're coming from the Philippines or China. They're not developing anything particularly high-tech or anything for us, so it's actually quite basic materials and you've got to make something of it, and of course we have the pressure of imagery from Europe, like the Stephen Jones, the Philip Treacy's, and they—they they of course would get things laid at their doorstep. People would go to them and say, "Have a look at this. Have a look at this." They've got Italy around the corner, and Italy does produce beautiful millinery materials. Can still. you,
0: Philip? You cannot. Uh uh, bring in materials from
1: London? Or I, it just the I have done that, and it was when the dollar, dollar grained in value you could suddenly start doing it. But we certainly aren't seeing what they see because I could see that the feathers that they are offered are not the feathers that I can purchase. Mm. So you'd spend a lot of time making trimming. So if I'm going to make a trimming, it can take you half a day to a day to just to make the trimming so that it's oomphy enough mm. that it looks like a magazine picture that they're looking at. I don't want to be some second-rate cousin that they say will know, Stephen Jones will do me a better. Hat. if only I could go to Stephen Jones i 'd get a better hat or. I always used to say in the old days in the nineties, if Chanel made a hat to go with the handbag, they wouldn 't come to me you know and, <laughs> um, but um yeah so it, it, probably two days on the yeah. when you when' you should actually get going on to it two days. it would be two days, so that could be you know sixteen to twenty hours. Yes, but you wouldn't charge like you wouldn't charge like people imagine for six. Inch- you, you know, the other thing is you do actually you have in millinery you'll have three projects going, so there'll be three projects going. And yeah, you change. yeah, you've got to let things dry and you wait. Till you want, things are yeah. blocked, right? So you do you have to work yourself consequentially. So, you know, I suppose if you added it up, you'd be horrified. But it, that's the, that's the millinery game. The millinery game has never been. Like for in terms of paying, millinery was always worse paid. It was always worse paid than dressmakers in the nineteenth century, for instance. So, you know, it's a, it's just a game that you're either in or you're not, and you do it
0: for the passion.
1: Well, you know. I know I feel so I feel, I feel so flaky about passion. Yeah. That people, are, well, you know, we know your passion, but somebody actually said to me another another milliner once said to me once when she was talking to me, and I'm quite low key, I guess, and she just looked at me and she said, "Man, where's your passion?" and I, I sort of just was a bit embarrassed, and then later on I realised that when we compared what we'd been making, I thought, well, my passion goes into the product, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's, that's yeah. what I'm really fussy about, I'm really fussy, I'm really fussy about the way I finish things, in that even towards the end, you know, you can't give up, You've, even when you're putting the headlining in or the, band, the headband in, you know, the way it looks to me to pick it up is still important. And so I guess that's the stuff. I'll I'll just keep persisting until the, I am quite persistent. Philip, you must be able to
0: identify a lousy hat, you know, from a mile away. If someone's wearing something that you know makes a statement, but you could be able to see the the flaws in it. What are the things that you try and bring to a hat? What are the the? Is it about bringing out the best qualities of someone's face or the outfit or is it just capturing their personality? What, I mean, you know, we can talk endlessly about the detail, but what is the the thing that matters most about a hat for
1: the wearer? Well, to go back to that Beatrice analogy, is that it was a complete misfiring of giving a girl with that lack of life experience a hat that was for somebody like his friend Isabella Blow who was, you know, no one of the most... She
0: was actually the muse for yeah, Philip Tracy. Tracy.
1: So in a way, he gave the wrong hat to the wrong person, and I just felt that he missed... I, I don't think it was about the hat, it was the fact he missed with her, and I think that what you have to do is you've just got to make sure it's the right thing for them. You can bring somebody... You can bring somebody up a notch in terms of make them a bit oomphier when they've got it and they may maybe a bit shy, but you can kind of bring somebody up just to, a bit by making something a bit perky but um i think in the end you have to demur to the fact that they are who they are and they deserve they deserve what the old thing about millinery was to project the personality but to protect the personality, and my website, I think I have I used to. I don't know if it's still written. No woman has been held to ridicule in a Philip Rhodes hat because yeah. I do. I just think that they're not to be ridiculous. I, th- I I I believe in I believe in fashionability and style. I think it's rather than just making a statement, rather than just making a statement with things shooting in every direction. So yeah, I mean, I made I did, the bride I did recently. It was really interesting because hats traditionally go to the right, and I work to the right, and blocks fall to the right. So therefore, I find it hard to suddenly go to the left. And I went to a great deal of effort to make this thing, and the feathers, she wanted a hat with feathers on, so I went over, and they just fell... Within the line of the shoulder, and it was just—it was quite no, good on her. I put it on her, and I thought it's quite good, cause she was quite petite. And then she sent me a picture, very proudly sent me a picture. And the hairdresser had cocked it completely to the left, and the feathers were shooting straight up in the air. And it was so, to my eye, so grotesque. But a friend of mine looked at it and said, "Oh, she still looks quite sweet." And so, um, but you know, I suppose you're always looking for that perfection because you know, you know, you you. You look to you look to who's good and, and and think to yourself, am am I matching that mark? Am I am I touching it? Now you know you look to the people overseas, those two guys overseas, you know, yeah. Stephen Jones and, and, Philip, you know, and Tracy. Philip Tracy, You look at them, and you and you can't help but look at those perfect images. They get yeah. beautiful images. So you you know you try and I suppose, I suppose in a way it's even contorted by the fact that you you see a frozen snapshot of a hat, and in a way you want to make that perfect image yourself. So, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm fussy about. And I I I'll, I'll work to make that, to make things, like, for instance, my boss, my old boss, William Bill, used to say, if it's extreme, it can't wobble. And, you know, a rule yeah. like that, if, it, if you are making something extreme, it can't wobble. Philip, was there one hat that you
0: designed that um, elevated your position several notches that really took either the media's attention or buyers attention. Was there a hat that you really you did at the time and you've had many hats and but one that holds particular fondness in, in your in your
1: memory? Um not really. I don't I must admit I don't look back very much. I, I do think that the thing about millinery is that you are looking forward. I mean, it's it is it's a potential area to be very sentimental and soppy and look yeah. to the past and and re, you know create vintage looks and because yeah. it's so prone to go vintagey looky so yeah. quickly quickly. So I suppose, you know, you make a hat and you think, oh, that was all right. And you know, I do. I deal with Myers and Myers will pick a hat of yours, and use it like on a poster at the race. And I had one, I suppose I had one a couple of years ago that was that was the sort of poster shot on Jennifer Hawkins. And you're quite, you know, you, you, you enjoy the pleasure to think that it's, it's right. been elevated to that, yeah. But in terms of, you know, anything else, I suppose you're just thinking, what am I going to do next year? I always say to my partner at the end of the season, I don't know what I'm going to do next year you know, because I've got through this year and everyone said it was a great range. I mean, my vanity is when the buyer says it's the best range I've seen. And they frequently say it to me. And that's what I aim to do. Yeah. Yeah. Philip, look, it's been an absolute
0: pleasure having you in here. I think you're a huge talent. I think... It'd be interesting to know what would have happened if you would have stayed in London, in Muswell Hill. (laughs) But I think Melbourne are very fortunate to have you in their midst. So, look, thank you so much for coming in today. And, um, look, it's just been a pleasure. Thanks, Tim, very much. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for coming, Philip. Thank you.